Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Uh, my name is Landon Dorier. And um, yeah, Drew and Jenny are still out of town. Uh, we've had like a couple guest speakers recently. Bobby, I heard, did a great job last Sunday. I wasn't able to see it. I was in uh, the Kids' Kingdom rotation. Um, I had volunteer for Kids' Kingdom. And I think Will, Will Schaefer was at Wednesday uh, sharing at midweek, and he did a great job. I was, I was there for that, and I remember just, uh, just, just hearing Will speak and just his vulnerability of how he's feeling, I mean, what he's going through, and I'm um, just, just confessing and being honest and open and real, and, um, that, and encouraging us as a church to really um, have that as our culture. Right. Um, not just talk about the glory days in the past, but like, what, is, what are we like today? What are we doing? How are we... Um, working and building on our faith and our goodness and our love to uh, reach for heaven. And um, yeah, I was just really encouraged by that. And it got me thinking. And then as I was, because I didn't just come up with a topic for today, but Drew had already planned these things out months ago yeah. as with the transformation by the spirit yep. um, theme. And I was thinking, like, as Will preached, and I was thinking, like, you know, as I read the story, uh, we're going to be talking about the Shunammite woman. Uh, I see things that it just parallels to me. And um, as I was just praying and, and, and thinking and talking to people, like trying to draw what is like the main theme of this scripture, like what is God trying to teach us? There's like lots of different things, like date ways you could go, do things, but it really resonated with me and like what Will, sh- Will said. And um, two, just uh, Will, like we even got together, like four of us, uh, me, Andre, Will, and Zali, and, and Saturday morning, 6 a.m., just went and prayed at Riverview Park and walked around. And that was great, just being with brothers, um, praying together. And I just encourage you guys, like let's like let's do stuff like that. Let's let's just get up early in the morning and pray together. Let's talk to people. Let's let's be real. Let's let's spend our lives with each other. It's like well, it's like we're going to be like I'm planning to spend eternity with you too. So um, let's let's get into it. Um, so if you can uh, go to Second Kings chapter four. And as I said, we'll be, we'll be talking about the Shunammite woman. Verses 8 through 37. And uh, I'll start from the beginning. I'll, I'll be going through this kind of piece by piece. Uh, with verse 8, it says, One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let us make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So we see right at the start, uh, this woman, it says she's a well-to-do woman. This means she's, uh, she's, she's wealthy. She's kind of prosperous. She's got some status. And she notices out the window Elisha walking by. And she must have been pretty perceptive because not only does she notice him walking by, but she realizes, like, this is a holy man of God. I don't know if it was the stuff he was wearing, the people he was with, or whatever. But she realized, like, this is a man of God. And um, so, like, seeing him walk by, like, she, she sees him and says, okay, this guy's walking by. He must be hungry, tired from his journey. Because, like, back then, like, they don't have cars. Like, they have to walk or ride a donkey. Like, you get tired. And she urged him, like, please come, stay, let's have some food. And it says she, she urged him. So I get this, this picture of, 
like her like having like dragging me. It's like come and get some food. He's like, no, I'm fine. Like don't worry about it. He's like, no, come in. I like think like when I go to my grandma's house, you guys can maybe relate. Yeah. It's really hard to leave without being fed something. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like hot, grandmas are pros in hospitality, and um, you know a lot of people would stop there. Like hey, come have a meal. Um, you know I was. Be really, I mean, it's a really generous thing to do, but she doesn't stop there. She, what does she do? She goes to her husband and she's like, hey, let's, let's build this guy a room, like his own room in our house that he can have whenever he comes through town. Let's put furniture in there, a bed so he can um, sleep, a table so he can read or study or do whatever. I mean, she's really thinking about it and planning out how can we really take care of this man of God. Um, and I mean that's a commitment, like yeah. to prepare a room. That's that's constant. That's a dedicated like you're dedicated to constant hospitality. Whenever he comes through, you've made that for him. Um, so pick back up in verse eleven. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, "Call the Shunammite." So he called her, and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, "Tell her you have gone to all this trouble for us." Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her, Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. You know, having all this been done for Elisha, he was, as you can understand, very encouraged, it seems like. He's, he feels like he has to repay her back. He has, I gotta do something for this woman. She's gone through all this trouble for me. Um, and uh, his initial attempt to to repair back. He's like, can I speak on the king? Can, can I get like a favor done for you? And she's like, no, 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 no. She has this, as soon as she has this peace or contentment with like, she's like, I have a home among my own people. I don't need anything. She didn't do this for Elisha to get a reward. She didn't do it to get a blessing, to get paid back. She did it because she revered God. Um, so Elisha, you know, like the Shunammite woman, he wouldn't be so easily stopped. So he's like, I got to do something for her. I don't care what you say. So um, that's when he comes up with, okay, you don't have a son. I know like, having a son back then is, is a very critical thing in their culture. And he's like, okay, you're going to have a son next year. So back in verse 18, the child grew. And one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. He said to his father, uh, my head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. Stop. For a second, like, see, like the boy, as we read, he he's out in the field and um and he actually comes back into the house and he dies. It's likely may have been like some type of sunstroke or something like this, 
uh, the heat and the climate, being a young child, um, got to him. And then the woman, she takes her son, and, she, and when he dies, what does she do? But she takes him back into Elisha's room, and she lays him on his bed and shuts the door. It's like um, I get this idea that she hasn't accepted his death as the final reality. She's not telling anyone yet. She didn't tell her uh, the husband. She didn't go get prepared for a burial, but she hid him on Elisha's bed. You know, it must have been her faith that like, something could still be done. If God could give me this child, uh-huh. certainly something like he could be brought back. And I imagine she's being with Elisha over time. Just the stories of things that have happened. Um, she's heard of other, other miracles. So, verse 24, she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Just a side note, I learned that this is a, a roughly 20-mile journey. I don't know how the route would have been, but on a donkey, this would have taken a really long time. And when he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Notice Elisha's concern right here. He's, like, he's obviously very worried about this woman. Like, I get this idea that he, this is someone that, it's not just any woman coming to his door, but he has a relationship with this person. He cares about this person. He's really concerned. Um, if, if someone, a brother or sister approaches you, like, can you... Can you, would you be able to respond in the same, like, I know, like, would you know what questions to ask? Like, is this okay? Is that all right? Is, is, what happened about this? Um, and then she replied, everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my lord, she said. Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face. But there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, The boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. And I want to stop right there and, and read a, a little portion of 1 Kings 17, 20 and 21. And it's, uh, that story, it's, it's about Elijah, who was Elisha's master, and he had... Um, gone through a very similar situation in the past of, of a child dying and um, praying to God to bring him back. I just want to read it just so we can get an idea, I think, of, of what Elisha's prayer may have sounded like. Um, so I'll pick up uh, verse 20, chapter 17, 1 Kings. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And I just, just Elijah, Elisha, like I, just, I see these guys as prophets. And I just don't ever see them 
you know, questioning God right. in my mind. But I see when they pray, like they, their prayers are so genuine, so heartfelt, what they're really feeling and thinking in the moment. It's like, why, God, like, why did you do this? Why did you bring this tragedy on this woman? Like she's, like she's been housing me. She's been doing all this for me. Why? And he's just pleading with God, please bring him back. Please bring him back. Um, and then back with, to the story in verse 34. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, I mean, Gehazi, call the Shunammite, and he, and he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went. And we see um, God not working through the staff, but working through this intense, personal moment, this intimate moment of Elisha with the boy praying out of just love and care for the Shunammite woman. Now, when death robs our home of treasure or something we value or someone we love, do we, can we share um, what, the, what the Shunammite woman said in saying, like, everything is all right? Do we have that peace to where if I was to lose this thing or this thing that I love so much, can I be content with God? Now, I'm prone with anxiety. We all, like, worry and fear, whether it's relationships, jobs, money, children, husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, school, intelligence, grades, uh, physical appearance, material possessions, um, social status, our own religiousness, good deeds. Like you name it, whatever it is, we can put our security in these things. But the Bible says anything in this world that we put our hope in, if it's not God, it's only a matter of time before it falls. It falls and breaks on us. As Jesus said himself in Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where, I mean, treasures on earth, I'm sorry, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but instead store up in treasures in heaven. Um, you know, when I, was, when I was studying the Bible years ago, trying to figure out my life, like, what is this Christianity thing all about? Because I grew up going to church. I grew up thinking I was a Christian. But it wasn't until um, towards the end of, end of college where I realized, just based off things that are happening in my life, um, like it's, I've, I've missed something. Like, it's not right. I don't, it's, it just doesn't feel like God is in my life. I don't feel this peace that surpasses understanding that I read about. I, don't, I was like, I'm missing something. I could see when I took an honest assessment of my life, I'm, I'm not living like Jesus did. I'm not living... Yeah. For anyone other than myself, yeah. and that's when I uh, I reached out to some this guy I knew in J, at JMU, Chris Guerra. Some of you may remember him, yeah. and we were on the dodgeball team. Yeah, yeah. And I asked him like, "Hey, can I come to church with you?" I didn't know what to do. Um, I like I didn't know anyone who seemed like an authentic Christian except Chris. Whenever we had parties, anything like Chris separated himself from that. Chris was he didn't mix with the world. And when I was studying the Bible with him, um, he explained to me 
God's love in a way like I'll never forget. Um, and he, he, he told me to just imagine for a moment the person I love most in the world. So you guys can do the same. And I know for me it was hard. Like It's okay like, to pick one person, like mom or dad. I don't know. No, we will tell Don't tell them. Um, but it's okay. Just, just pick one. It, it doesn't have to be your number one. Just tied for number one. But uh, just pick one and imagine it's a warm, a warm sunny day. Like for example, uh, me and my mom or dad are walking through, walking through the downtown mall. We're going to go out to lunch after church, and you know this is this is a great day. We're looking forward to it. We're having fun. We're joking, and. This person just comes out one of the alleyways and tries to steal a wallet or a purse. And in a struggle, a gun is pulled out and point blank, that person kills the person that I love the most in the world. And I'm just thinking, like, in that moment, Chris asked me, what would I do? And, like, my response was, I think I would just pounce on that person, and if I could get my hands on them, like, I would destroy them if I could. Like, I would be so filled with rage and anger and confusion. And then he asked, he told me, um, think about God. Who does God love the most in the world? Jesus, his son. And um, my sin, how I've lived, the things I've chosen to do, my selfishness, I've, I put Jesus on the cross. That's why Jesus had to die. My sin, I'm the one who killed Jesus, the one that God loves the most in the world. But yet, how did God respond to me? He didn't crush me and destroy me, but instead, he put me um, in a home with a great family. He's provided me with food, um, shelter, a home, like... He took me to school, gave me an education, gave me a job. He put me in a great church. He's, um, he's provided everything for me. When I, I would, if it was me, I would have wiped that person off the face of the earth. And it's like this love that God has literally doesn't make any sense. That he'd be willing to do that. Um, you know, and now I, I see how God, like, that's the hospitality that God has. Yeah. Uh, even for a murderer, he would put them in his home, take care of them, and clothe them, and feed them. Or could you imagine doing that for somebody? Mm. You know, when I think about that, and I think about, okay, how do I... I don't know, like, how do I move on from that? How do I live in this knowledge and it's like only by rejoicing in my acceptance by God just this this love by God um, does like insecurity and fear this wanting to put my security in, in job or whatever relationships only then when I realize that that God has loved me so completely regardless of who I am that like I have the ability to then make any progress at all in my life, whether I'm trying to become more faithful, more loving, um, more hospitable, you know, 
only when I see that can I really want to live the way that the Shunammite woman lived toward Elisha. Only when I see how God was so hospitable to me and forgiving, like, would I want to do that for anybody else? Um, and I read her story, and initially I, I could like, see myself wanting to uh, do good deeds or wanting to take care of somebody, but in the back of my mind, I'm hoping that God's going to bless me and give me something back in return for my, for my efforts, you know? Um, uh, but if I obey like that, if I'm obeying to get something, I'm really not, I'm not obeying God for his sake. I'm using the law of God to control him and not praise him. Whether we like, receive a blessing, a visible blessing in this life or not, that's, that's not the point. Because God owes us absolutely nothing. He's already given us so much. And we are, we're created by him and for him to bring him glory in everything that we do. Without joining in and seeing that and finding peace in Christ's obedience to God and his love for me, I'll never be able to obey. You'll never be able to obey for the right reason. You'll always just keep coming back to the start, trying again. So then, how can we be hospitable like the Shunammite woman with the love and what she was able to do for Elisha? Like, let's, let's, with the idea of just hospitality, let's start by what it's not. Hospitality is not like glamorous table settings and platters of like picturesque food and creating a spotless home for people to come in and see. That's not hospitality. That's, that's trying to make yourself look good. Um, it is about practicing servanthood. It's loving people through Christ and making people feel special. I'm going to read uh, 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. It says, Above all, maintain an intense love for each other, since, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others, as good managers of the varied grace of God. You know, it's not just a command to, to have a quota of guests over for dinner during the month. It's a, it's a command to be a certain type of person, right? One that doesn't see the extra dishes in the sink and grumble and complain about it. Let your hospitality be an overflow of God's hospitality. It's, it's, and again, it's not like a one-month campaign, but it's a, it's a life that we live for eternity. You know, it's, and again, it's, like, it's no doubt easier to, to share hospitality with, with family, or to have um, people you really know over. But God wants us to have the strangers over on the street as well. Not just um, our brothers and sisters, but definitely everybody, right? But Jesus... Um, you know, he makes it clear that we are, I mean, we have, to, we have to accept everyone. And he says this in John 13, 35. He makes this uh, one of the marks of discipleship, one of the things that will confirm that you are, you are in him. And he says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And, and we can be hospitable to one another. It's not just for non-Christians. It's not just for disciples. But like I said, it's everybody. And... 
I think, too, like one thing, we can definitely practice on each other, too. We can work together. We can combo, do teamwork on this. Um, and don't, don't expect to be a master at hospitality from the start. Just like anything in life, you get better over time. Yeah. You learn how to encourage people. You learn, um, or if you're having the same person over and over again, you'll learn what that person likes. So maybe, oh, this person's favorite song is this. Next time he comes over, I'm going to have it playing nice. on the speakers when he shows up. You know, like, just like little things. Like, how can we make each other feel special? How can we make someone feel loved? Um, and welcoming someone into your home in those days, it's, it's not just sharing a meal with them, but it's, it meant like welcoming someone into your life. Uh, the serving led to loving them, and it's the same today. Because I know sometimes it could be me, like, I don't want to do something unless I feel the emotion that kind of compels me to do it. But if you don't feel the love at first... That's okay. Don't let us stop you. Repeat. Do not let that stop you. I want to share a quote from C.S. Lewis. I really love it. It says, The rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. Yes. And... Just like with uh, the Shunammite woman and Elisha, these things like building relationship, having impact in each other's lives, it takes time. Um, they knew each other for years. I mean, she'd been coming over. Yeah, that room had been there for years. The boy had grown up. He could speak. Um, it took years for them to get to, that, to the, where they were in their relationship. Um, as we saw... On that day, like the concern that Elisha had when she approached from a distance. And we saw the woman only wanting to share the news of what had happened with Elisha himself. She didn't want to tell anybody else. I just want to talk to Elisha, this person that I trust, that I can confide in, that I can cry at his feet and feel okay to do that, to be myself in front of him. We saw her refuse to go back home until Elisha came with her. She really trusted in this guy. They're like, this is a man of God. I know him. I see him. I know how he lives. I'm not coming back until you come with me because I know that you know God. And so it's like us. Like, we got to make the decision to share the blessings of God in our home with people and to be constant with it. Just like the, the Shunammite woman did and was constantly showing Elisha hospitality. Um, and I think... You know, over time, we'll see, like, people aren't just coming over and wanting to, like, be around. They don't want to come just, like, for free entertainment. But, like, people deeply want a sense of, of loving kindness and genuine concern and relationship, feeling of being able to be real with one another. And this happens, this type of thing happens over time. This happens of, yeah. and we have to go out, we have to make the first step. I have to invite someone. I have to show that love, that, like, hey, I want to get to know you. And that's when we begin to build a real connection with somebody. That's the moment when your house becomes a sanctuary for somebody. I want to share about... Um, some of you guys know that uh, most Thursdays I go visit my Aunt Susan uh, up in Greene County. And her and her uh, son, Callan, my little cousin, 
And I go over there just to uh, spend time with them and try and try to help out any way I can because Susan is a single mom and I know life can be hard and Callan has diabetes so it's, it can be extra stressful sometimes. So I just try and go over there, just spend time with them, help, whatever I can. And I know, like before I went over there on Thursdays, um, and like I always loved Susan and Callan. Like Susan was my aunt, Callan was my cousin. Like I love those guys. But like I said, like after going over there for over a year now, like Susan's not just an aunt anymore. Susan is my second mom. Uh, Callan's not just my cousin anymore. He's my little brother. And I just love those guys so much. And just, you know, I'm able to pray for them in a way that I couldn't pray before. And um, I just know, like, that's the, the love that God has for me. And I want to say, like, even, like, if you don't have a house of your own, or if you, like, your house is fumigated, like, I can't have anyone over for whatever. It's, I want to say again, do not let that stop you. You don't need, like, regardless of your circumstances, God can use you to encourage somebody and to make them feel special. Just take someone out to lunch, treat them. I don't know, just think of something, be creative. You can do it. It's like, help somebody move. Call Bobby, volunteer for children's ministry. Make food, uh, deliver it to homeless people in paper bags. Buy a bunch of socks and get that to homeless people. I, I read that they really need socks. Seriously, start a fundraiser. Pray with somebody every day. Call them on the phone. See how your discipling partner is doing daily. Don't skip out on your discipling times. Yeah. Write random encouraging cards to your brothers and sisters just for no reason other than they're your brother and sister. Right. Um, I mean, it's endless things we could do for one another. We just have to make a decision to do it. But the thing that gets in the way is usually it's just selfishness. Um, I know we all have stuff going on, jobs, kids, like life can be hectic, but that's why it's so critical to make that time for God where we can really sit and be still and not be thinking about anything else in life, but okay, what is, how much has God loved me? And now out of that love, how can I love somebody else today? What can I do if it's just a little thing? It's just a phone call. You know, my faith was encouraged by, you guys know Ben Hutchins? Yeah. Like, a couple months ago, he did this thing, like, Hike for Hope. And uh, he just came up with this idea. He would hike 50 miles, and then people would donate him money, and he would yeah. give that to people in poverty. It's like, wow, that's really cool and inspiring just to do something. I know we, I, I, I think about lots of things. You guys might do, like, we, these lofty ideas, but, like, we can actually do them. Like, right. just do it. I mean... <laughs> It's really, I think, just our own fear or just the illusion of we have more time than we think that I can just do it tomorrow, but the, the day never comes. Or, um, But yeah, like, let's do stuff, church. Let's be in each other's lives. We're, we're a family. Like, I call you guys my family. I really believe that. Like, let's, let's be together. Um, and with all that said, I don't know about you guys, but 
but I have to like constantly, I feel like, safeguard myself against this uh, drifting into this performance mindset of, okay, I want to do stuff. I just want to do it, do it, do it. But then if I don't do it, I'm like, I start to feel a little insecure. Am I still safe in God's love? Does he, does he, am I still secure in that? And then these two scriptures come to mind when I, when I struggle with this idea. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. He says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And a lot of times, I think when I get to the mindset, it's just like, I start to think, I'm doing the work. I'm doing this. I have to do that. But God, I mean, Paul, he sees this. Like he said, like he works so hard. You read about in the Bible all the things he went through. And I will be terribly afraid to make a statement like Paul just did. Like, I work harder than everybody. Like, the apostles, I work harder than those guys. Like, that takes courage to say something like that. And he means it. He really believes it. And I think he's right. But he still feels so humble in saying that. Um, It's because, like, he gets it. He was, Paul was a murderer. He, He was willingly holding the clothes of the people as they killed Christians. And then Paul ended up being the guy that God came to specifically and chose him to spearhead spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. And then this is why Paul, he sees this immense amount of grace and mercy. Like I murdered your people and now you give me this like highest honor. Like I get to do this. And it's like with that knowledge... Paul, he's just compelled. And he is, it's not his own energy that's trying to do these things, but it's that grace of God of, of him forgiving him from all that and then giving him such an honor that he's just compelled. Like it's God's grace working through me, pushing me through everything that I do. And it's the same thing for us. Um, so like I said, like, I'm a murderer. Like I, my sin, like I killed God. I killed Jesus. And just the grace, like I'm able to be in a church to be forgiven, to be, as Jesse shared, um, become a citizen in his kingdom now. It's like, man, like, I can't believe that. Like, it doesn't make any sense how God would love us so much. And it's that we have to get in touch with that, like, and let that be what compels us. Philippians 2, 12, 13. um, It's another scripture. One of the two that really helped me with this mindset and um, it says therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure yes. and I want to share a quote from it's a Francis Chan book Forgotten God it helped me understand this verse more clearly and Chan says I love the apparent contradiction in this passage Paul says in one breath, work out your own salvation, and in the next, it is God who works in you. The bothness here does not allow us to escape with a simple conclusion. Yes, it is God who works in you, and yes, there is work for you to do. Yes, the Spirit empowers you to do the work, and yes, you do the work. And I just want to close with a bonus story. 
a little bonus story. Imagine this as an in-credit scene in a movie theater. Good. Second Kings 8. Verse 1 through 6. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Go away with your family and stay for a while, wherever you can, because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. The woman proceeded to do as the man of God said. She and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines seven years. At the end of the seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and went to appeal to the king for her, for her house and land. The king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, and had said, Tell me about all the great things Elisha has done. Just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, the woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life came to appeal to the king for her house and land. Gehazi said, This is the woman, my lord, the king, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. The king asked the woman about it, and she told him. Then he assigned an official to her case and said to him, Give back everything that belonged to her, including all the income from her land from the day she left the country until now. It's like, look at that. Wow. Do you believe uh, that her appearance before the king in that moment was a coincidence? No. If not, what does that tell you about God? How he cares for us. So my challenge, I have a challenge for this week. Um, Just as this woman here before the king was given an opportunity to share her story of how God was faithful to her. Pray this week that God will give you an opportunity to share your story of God's faithfulness to somebody. Your testimony. Share your testimony with somebody this week. And bonus points if you invite that person to your house later. (laughs) Or that they are actually in your home when you do it. So, amen. Thank you, guys. Um, It's been great just learning the story. And I love you guys. Thank you so much. Let's all stand. We'll sing together. Rise up, O men of God.